Knox Game Design. December 2020. Allegro. Welcome everyone to Knox Game Design for December 2020. Um, so this is the last Knox Game Design presentation of the year. It's been a long year. I hope everyone out there is doing okay. Hope everyone had a great Christmas holiday and hope everyone has a great new year and 2021. So this month's topic is Allegro. It's a game library that uh, I used quite a long time ago. So let's go ahead and get into it. So Allegro stands for Atari Low Level Game Routines. Um, it was originally a library created for DOS game developers. I know I used it back in the late 90s, back when I was using, I think, DOS 5.0 and DOS 6.22. Uh, it's targeted towards C and C++ developers. And with Allegro, you can make Windows, Linux, Mac, iPhone, and Android builds. So there's two major releases of Allegro. There was the Allegro 2, 3, and 4, which was back in the 90s, the version that I used. And <laughs> one thing that I really liked about Allegro, before I used Allegro, um, I had just only created games in QBasic or maybe Java at the time. So with Allegro, it was the very first time that I was able to create like a, a pure Windows EXE and Windows executable. And that was pretty cool at the time when most compilers, you actually had to like for Visual C++, you actually had to pay like $100 or $90 or so. So for there to be a compiler out there to make your own EXEs for Windows at the time that you could download off the internet, that was really cool to me to be able to make my own executables for DOS. Um, and the compiler that I used was called DJGPP, and I read a little bit into the history of this, and I remember it's created by a guy named DJ Delory, and I think it was kind of like a fork or... Uh, revised code for the GPP, the standard GNU C and C++ compiler, but it did run on DOS, which was really cool at the time. And um, yeah, you can find all about that at delory.com, and it's pretty cool. The same website that I used back in the 90s is still out there running, uh, so you can go out there and read that. So the second major release of Allegro, which I think happened later on in the 2000s, uh, was Allegro 5. I don't remember the exact date, but Allegro 5 is significantly different than previous versions of Allegro. So if you have a game created in Allegro 2, 3, or 4, it will not compile easily at all in Allegro 5. It was kind of like a complete rewrite of the Allegro game library, completely different. Uh, so to get started with Allegro, you can go out. There's two different ways you can do this. So you can go to the Allegro website, and which is libleg.org. And it's kind of unfortunate because if you just type Allegro into DuckDuckGo, you're going to get about, about music and things going quickly and everything. So it's not the greatest name in the world. Because it's, it's a very common word. Uh, so Allegro in French or Italian, I can't remember which one means fast. Uh, maybe Spanish as well, I'm not sure. Uh, 
So you can go to liblag.org and there's downloads right here. You can get the latest version right there. So this is for Allegro 5, which is the significantly different one than the previous version of Allegro. So be sure you know what you're working with. I guess if I was a new Allegro, a new game developer, wanting to create something, I guess I would go ahead and use Allegro 5. Uh, the only reason I would download the previous versions of Allegro is if I had a game that I created a long time ago, which I'll, I'll show some examples pretty soon, um, and I wanted to compile those old games, uh, then I would probably get the Allegro 4 compiler for that. So you can go out here and download, and I think you can even get the source for the Allegro library and compile it yourself. So I've kind of outlined a few different ways. There is a quick start guide, um, installation instructions right here on the, they got a little Allegro wiki on GitHub. Um, so the first method is using the, so if you downloaded the old version of Allegro, then you can use the DJGPP compiler, which I'll show in a second. If you're using Allegro 5, then you can use msys2 and the one thing that i found out i thought msys2 was the same thing as um it's not sigwin but um, let's see here mingw <laughs> so mingw is a simulated unix style environment for windows and it's only for like 32-bit applications so msys2 is kind of like a redeveloped or forked version for 64-bit windows so this only works with msys2 but unfortunately i wasn't even able to get that working they do have a guide out here i think it's something to do with my includes it wasn't able to find the the right libraries and header files when I was trying to include it so uh, but there are instructions if you want to give msys2 a try um, but the easier way is to use Visual Studio which I'll talk about in a little bit when I get into the Allegro 5 stuff if you want to do the old stuff the Allegro 2 stuff then you can use DJGPP through DOSBox now DJGPP won't work through Windows is just like too old and outdated. But one cool thing, the Delore software. You can go to Delore.com. And what's cool is like I actually looked this guy up. DJ Delore is apparently still around. I put a link to his blog in the link references at the end. But apparently he works at Red Hat now. And you can just go there and you can, he's like still, I think. Let's see if it'll come out a little bit slow. Yeah. He's like still writing, well, as of August 2019, still writing about the Ganesi library and things like that. So you can check out that. But yeah, what's really cool is this site looks exactly the same way it did back in like 1996 how many years i don't even know how many years that 20 like 24 25 years ago uh, what but what's really cool is you can go to click on this zip picker right here i know it's probably kind of small on there but you can actually click on the things you want do i want c plus uh do i want flex or bison 
And then you can actually click Allegra. And I think this is probably the same code that it was back in the late 90s. Then you can click on Tell Me Which Files I Need. And it will actually go out and give you a listing of all the files to download, which is really cool. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this. Most things are like, oh, here's a list of all our files. Figure out which ones you need. But this will just like put it right out there, which ones you need right there. So um, I use DOSBox. Just fire up DOSBox. And I'm going to mount, see if I remember what to mount. Mount C to D, LD Smith, Tools, I think it's DJGPP. <clears throat> so then I'm going to go to C. So I kind of already have all this set up. There's some initialization files that you'll need to set up. So I just have that in setup.bat. And you see what it does right here. Um, let me pull that over a little bit. So basically we're going to add DJGPP bin to our path and then set this DJGPP environment variables. So I have a couple of games. The games that I wrote back in high school. I guess I wrote these after I started college, after I was out of high school. But still, a really long time ago. Um, so the first one was a simple Tetris clone that I wrote. Uh, yeah, and you can go through these slides, and I kind of detail all of the zip picker and all that. So if you want to compile, like here I have the command, if you want to compile my Tetris game, <clears throat> just go into the... And I have all these old Allegro games on my GitHub. I think it's under Georgia Tech Projects. Even though I didn't develop these for a class or anything, that's kind of how big of a nerd I was. I was making games <laughs> outside of the programming assignments that I had for class, which is kind of sad. But uh, yeah, CD Games and Tetris... And using the old school DJPPP compiler, you can do a, let's see here, do I have an executable? I'm going to go ahead and delete the executable, just to prove. So I can do GCC Tetris <clears throat> C output to Tetris. can't remember if there's supposed to be a space there or not. L lag dash, I can't remember what the dash G does. See if this compiles. So there's a lot of like outdated calls in, in this code right here. And I actually had to fix a couple things to get it to, to work correctly. Um, but I can't remember if I compiled this with Allegro 2 or Allegro 4. I believe the compiler that I have now is Allegro 4 on here. I guess you can do, G, can do you know, GCC version. GCC-V. GCC version 9.3, but it doesn't tell you which version of uh, <clears throat> DJGPP it is. But anyway, so yeah, there's my Tetris EXE, Tetris, and here's the Tetris game. I was so proud that I was able to get this running. So I have like the X and Y coordinate of the block. Um, apparently I'm not using a random seed because I think it generates the same sequence of pieces every time but you can rotate the pieces <clears throat> there isn't an instant drop so you just kind of got to keep pressing down to bring the pieces down but yeah I, I was really really surprised i never thought i'd be able to get this game running again i mean it's just a simple tetris game and i could churn out a tetris game and in a in a night but just to have something that I wrote such a long time ago still work. Like, it won't run under Windows. You have to run it through DOSBox. But still, I think it's pretty cool. 
So yeah, completing the line that actually clears out the line below. Um, I think originally this was supposed to get faster, but I had to take out some code to get that to work. So, something with the callback function, the sleep in there wasn't working correctly, so I just commented all that out just to get this to work. But uh, so I think in that code it actually did make the game <clears throat> didn't make the pieces fall faster as you went on through the game. Yeah, so uh, let me do one more piece. It's addicting. It's hard for me to let a Tetris game go. Okay, so that's Tetris. <clears throat> game over. You just press escape to exit. So I actually have in. If I make this bigger in my Notepad plus plus the the source code. So th I think this is all standard C. Like I said earlier, you can do either C or C plus <clears throat> plus. So I have some pound defines, number of rows and calls. Um, for I'm not going to do a full code review of this, but yeah, I have a type def struct for a piece. Some global variables to find the table. This time handler, I think it has a callback. So every time that ticks, then it's going to drop the piece down a little bit further down. So I have all the drawing code in here and handling the keys. Um, all the drawing code. Um, it actually did have joystick support. So it pulled the joystick. Have functions for moving the piece left or right, or shifting it down, dropping the piece, adding the block to the board. <clears throat> Here's the code to paint the screen. So one thing I will admit, this is before I did any Unity or anything like that, so I didn't realize the importance of separating your drawing code from your game logic. So in this... It's just kind of all mixed in together, which, yeah, it, it isn't pretty. Here's the Allegro setup. And then, finally, our main function. So, yeah, this code is all out on my GitHub. Plus, it has that minor modification that I had to make to... I think it was in the piece drop. <clears throat> because it was dropping the pieces way too quickly. Um, there is a way to actually slow down and speed up the emulated speed of DOSBox, but that still didn't fix that problem. Yeah, so that is the Tetris game. And another simple game that I made, I, I really don't even know if it's a game, but is a lawnmower. I guess it's more of a lawnmower simulation. So I created this lawnmower game um, in Allegro. One thing you got to watch out for is if you're running this through DOSBox, DOSBox uses 8.3 file name format. So if your source code references a file name, which probably with Windows 95 at the time supported long file names, DOSBox will choke on that because DOSBox is going to expect whenever uh, in your source code, it's going to expect the 8.3 format. So it's going to expect a little squiggly tilde one file name. So I had to go through the source code for this game. I think I'd like to do a type lawn.c. Yeah, well, I don't have scrolling in DOSBox, but uh, the source code is is also out there. Let's see if I can open it up real quick. Source code. 
Um, C1 and lawn.c. So yeah, it's kind of the same thing. Got a player, it's got money and damage level and amount of time. Have some bitmaps for the grass <clears throat> and the lawnmower. So here's where I had to change some of these right here. File names to make sure it's in the 8.3 to get it to run correctly. So it's a fairly simple game. So I'll go ahead and run this. So yeah, you just started and you just use your left, right, up and down. So I think I'd originally envisioned having obstacles and things like that. You do have a countdown timer. So I think once that gets down to zero, then the game's over. But basically you get money. You get like $5 for every square of grass that you mow. No sound effects, unfortunately. Um, I don't even know if I, at the time I had a way. I know I didn't have a Blue Yeti microphone at the time. I don't even know if I'd have a way. So once you mow all the grass, then it's over. It actually doesn't even increment the level or anything. I don't know if you make any more money in the second level or not. But yeah, I didn't envision having damage. And also notice I had four sprites for the lawnmower. One going left, right, up, and down. Yeah, so that's basically it. It is kind of addicting, though. It's like you kind of feel like you got to... And you can tell I'm not I'm not pulling the keyboard. I'm using the key down event because you notice games that use the key down event because it'll go slowly once and then it'll speed up after that. So yeah, that those are just examples of Allegro 2, 3, and 4 running in DOSBox. Um, here's the MSYS 2 again. Um, I have it installed right here. Like I said, I wasn't able to get allegro running with this but it's very similar to MinGW. um so probably if i took a little bit more time i could have figured that out but you can download this library and install it or there's a thing called pac-man that you can go out and you can it's like a package manager and you can just use a dash s and then pass in MinGW, w64 86 64 allegro but for some reason it's still wouldn't want to make my games so the easiest way is visual studio so um first thing you need to check for is make sure that in visual studio you can get visual studio for free the community edition um, you got to make sure that it has desktop development with c installed if you don't have that you need to run the visual studio installer which is different than just regular visual studio so you need to go into your search and say visual studio installer which is a separate application <laughs> because every time i try to do this i try to go into visual studio and figure out how to add these libraries in but it's in the separate visual studio installer app and then you can uh I think you can just go into uh modify right there and just make sure desktop development with C++ is enabled. If you don't have that, it's not going to work. Um, yeah, so that's all you need out of that. So then once you have that installed, you can go into Visual Studio, the regular Visual Studio, and then create a new project, and then do a new console app. Make sure it's got C++ next to it. 
and I'll just create a and then the default location. So this is the simplest way to get started with Allegro 5. And you can just like right click here, you go into manage and you get packages, and then you go to browse. You gotta make sure you click for off install and go to browse. Then type in Allegro. And then it'll be probably be the first one, Allegro. It'll be the one with 44 or more thousand downloads. And you just click install. Uh, I never had to download Allegro Depths, but I'll have like a little, probably have a little alligator type guy standing next to it. So, yeah, that's all you need to do to get the Allegro uh, libraries installed. You should be able to do include Allegro 5, Allegro. 5h and it should auto complete and that's how you know it's installed now here's a trick that i'll come back to multiple times there'll be multiple things components within allegro that you want to add to your game so you got to right click go to properties and then click on allegro 5 here and there'll be things like the image add-on the audio add-on the font add-on, maybe you want the color add-on, things like that. And you got to basically, if I want to add image, you have images support, then I got to click on that and click yes, then apply, okay, and apply. Because by default, with Allegro 5, it doesn't come with any image loading or display. It doesn't come with audio. It doesn't come with the color libraries. You have to manually add those in. I don't know why they made that decision. I guess they figure some somebody may just want to write a sound app, and they don't need all the graphical stuff included. So that will make a smaller, I guess, executable. Um, or maybe somebody doesn't want sound support. Or maybe somebody doesn't want fonts. Maybe they just want something to play some sound or something. They don't want to display any fonts. So yeah, that's how you get started up and running with Allegro 5. Um, so I talked about, one thing you'll probably want is the font support. And one thing you got to make sure is, like, I typically copy my font files into Visual Studio. There's a little bit of a trick to get those font files in the correct location so that Allegro can see it. One thing I always do is say change the item type. And when I click on the properties, right click and then properties, change the item type to copy file. That way it will copy that resource file, whether it be a font file, a TTF file, an audio file like a wave or whatever, or a graphic file like a BMP or PMG. If you set that to copy file, then it will copy that file into your project output directory. Uh, that way you'll have it in the bundle for whenever you package it up and give it to your friends. <laughs> um, yeah, so you can do the sample Allegro program. See, see if I can get Hello World, File, Open, Project Solution, and let's go to my Presentations, Allegro. Yeah, here's a Hello World, and open the low world stuff. I don't want to save that one. So you yeah, have a simple one here. View. How do I make this bigger? Mm, thought I could control. Oh, there we go. Control and mouse wheel up. 
So we're going to include Allegro, Allegro TTF, and Allegro font. Then all Allegro programs begin with AL underscore init. All Allegro 5 programs. And most calls to the Allegro API start with AL underscore, then something, then whatever the function is. So for each one of these components that you want to use in Allegro, you got to do an AL init, like AL init font add-on or AL init TTF add-on. So we're going to figure out what the current directory is, and I printed out right here using CL. That's kind of a standard C++ thing. By the way, if you want to avoid typing std colon colon every time, just put using namespace std at the top. That's the standard C++ libraries. That's also helpful if you're doing vectors, which is kind of like a linked list or a list that you can use. If you use that namespace and you don't have to type in std every time. So we got an Allegro display, a pointer to Allegro display. Um, and you create the display, pass it in the width and the height. We're going to create an Allegro font, pass in the font file and the size of the font. Then we want to clear the background with AL clear to color, pass in a color RGB, so all R and all G is yellow. Then we're going to use AL draw text, pass in the reference to our font right there. And then I believe this is, yeah, this is the color of the font, so it's going to be black. And then we're going to display hello Allegro. Then one thing about Allegro, it does kind of do double buffering for you but you got to call flip display so if you don't call flip display it's not going to bring refresh the screen for you then i'm just going to put an al rest five which means rest for five seconds and run that and it'll open a window for five seconds it says hello allegro and it should close after that if you don't put the rest in there then it'll just open and close so if you're trying to do hello world which i recommend everybody that wants to get started in any game library, do hello world. Just make a simple window pop up, get to say something. But if it pops up and closes, you gotta make sure you either put some code in there to wait for user input, which I didn't want to put a bunch of user input code into this simple uh, demo right here. So I just make it rest for five seconds. And if you wanna like print hello world out to a console, you just see out uh, and then you use your angle two angled brackets to to the left, then hello world, like less than, less than. So that's hello world and Allegro. Mm, like I said, getting the font file. If you run it and you come into it, get an error, it's probably because you don't have your font file in the right location. So now we're going to look at keyboard input, and there's two ways to do keyboard input in Allegro. The first one, which I guess it's arbitrary which one is the first and which one is the second. But the first one that I use is the polling. That means for every update, every frame, we're going to check the state of the keyboard and find out which keys are pressed. And you can use AL underscore key underscore down, then pass in a reference to your keyboard state, which, by the way, there's actually a key, Allegro keyboard state uh, data type. So you pass in a reference to that. That's what the ampersand means. And then uh, you pass in the key, so you, they got constants for all the keys on the keyboard. So Allegro underscore key underscore zero is for the zero key. Uh, I think that's not the numeric keypad. That's the one above 
uh, the standard letter keys. So if that's pressed down, it's going to say zero key down. Now the downside with this is every frame is going to that's going to that the key is pressed down. That's going to be positive. So if you just want it once, if you're doing polling, there's no way to just get that once. You actually have to get the current state of the keyboard and store that, and then on the next frame, see if the key was not down. And then if it is down in this frame, then it means it was pressed, an on button down. Now, if you're using Unity and other things, it actually has like an event for on key press. And also Allegro has it too. And that's the second option is event-based uh, keyboard input. So you, they do have an event queue, data, Allegro event queue data type and an Allegro event. And you just call AL create event queue. And then you use AL register event source. You pass in your event queue. And then you pass in AL get keyboard event source. So that's going to start generating keyboard events every time a button goes up or down. So it's pretty handy. Especially if you're just doing keys up and keys down. That's all you really care about. Um, so then you can compare your event type with Allegro event key down. Then if it equals that key, then it means that key was pressed. Um, be aware if you're like getting input for numbers or letters and things like that. In a lot of game libraries, like in capital A is 65, lowercase a is 97, and ASCII, American Standard Codes for Information Interchange, um, but in Allegro, we'll return a 1 for an A. And I think it returns that whether it's a capital A or a lowercase a. And a 0 is 27. So when I got in here trying to do a comparison with 65, then I was like, what's going on here? I think there is a function actually in there to get the ASCII value, but by default, just uh, starts with A as 1. And space is 75. I think that's when I got in trouble. I was looking for like 32 for space. It was actually 75. So for random numbers, um, so I'm leading into my standard uh, number guessing game here. So since this is C++, and one thing that's for better or for worse in C++, everything that you can do in C, you can do in C++, which is kind of ugly because you get this mix of old C stuff and new C++ all into one. I do a comparison between the different languages, I think, in, a, in an upcoming slide. If it wasn't already, yeah, it's an upcoming slide. So I'll talk about that in a little bit. But if you just want a simple way to get a random integer, you can include C, STD, lib. So um, in C, that's STD, lib, dot H. In C++, you don't have to put the .h at the end of the header file, but you got to put that C to tell it that it's a standard C library. So you can just do rand, open paren, close paren, percent, 100, which will give you a random number from random integer from 0 to 99. Add one to that, that'll give you a number from 1 to 100. But since we're using C++ and we want to take advantage of C++, you can use the random library in C++. Uh, a little bit, it's not a one-liner, but you can create a random underscore device. And then you do this thing called uniform underscore int underscore distribution. You pass it in uh, use between angle brackets like a, a type right there. 
or template. I forget what they call it in C++, but you tell it's an int, then do this dist function, call dist, and then you pass it in the range. So I'm doing 1 to 100. So then after that, you just call dist rd, that random device that you created, and that will give you a value. So I think if you use these functions, it's supposed to be a little bit more random than the standard random that comes with C, but I don't know. I haven't looked at that code. So here's the number guessing game right here, and it's not pretty. It's a really long, so I'm going to do shift F5. It's, it's not the simplest number guessing games because you got to do all this Allegro initialization of your font, load your font in, because a lot of game development environments like Unity and Unreal, they just give you a default font. And you don't have to worry about finding your fonts and everything. So I am using the standard or the new C++ random device. But once you get down here, it's probably kind of hard to see. Um, it starts looking like the standard C code right here. So you got a secret number, which is your random value, your number that you're guessing, then a guess count. And since this is looping, I gotta have a string for holding the input, then a string for the result that was returned to the player. Then we're just going to create an infinite loop right here. You could create a bool, right, boolean, and just call keep looping and set the boolean to false when you want to quit looping, or you can just set it to true and break. If you're doing things like Google Code Jam or something, if you're doing serious game, that are not, not games, just programming competitions, it's probably better to do the constant true. Um then do a comparison every time here, but whatever. I guess it saves you one operation right there. So we're gonna store, guess the number one to 100. We're gonna get keyboard state. If the keyboard state equals escape, or if the key, AL key down is escape, then we're gonna break out of this loop and then quit. We're just gonna clear the screen, then we're going to draw the message and the input and the result. So here's another bit of ickiness with C++ in the Allegro library. So Allegro expects a, I believe a char star as the last parameter of AL draw text. And in C, in C++, I'm using the standard string class, which is pretty nice. So they actually... <laughs> give you a string class in C++, but unfortunately, the C++ string class is not compatible with the char star. So you gotta do a dot C underscore str, stir, open and close print, convert that string into a C uh, character array. So, yeah. <laughs> then you call it flip display, we're gonna draw that text, flip display, then it'll tell the user what their current status is. So one nice thing is there's an AL wait for event. So if you are doing the event-based programming, instead of updating on every frame, every 0, 0 0.0167 uh, seconds, 60 frames a second, you can just tell it, okay, don't up, don't redraw or do anything until I get a new keyboard event. So that's what I'm doing right here. So you can use this AL wait for event. So let's go and take that event. If it's a number from 0 to 9, then we're going to pin that number to the end of the character input string, but we're going to limit it to only three characters because we're doing 1 to 100. So 
If you really wanted to be fancy, you could limit to them to not be able to type in a number greater than 100, but we're just going to limit, limit to three characters of input. So they could put 999 in if they want to, but they couldn't put 1,000 in. If they press the backspace key, then we're going to delete one off the end of the character, in the string, the input string, and we're going to use the substir method on string, and we're going to pass it 0, then the size of that string minus 1. That may not be the most elegant way to do that, but it works. If the key equals Allegro key enter, then we're going to process whatever the user has entered. So we're going to store the user's input into iNumGuess, variable iNumberGuess, using, we're going to call s to i. So that converts the string to an int. Um, and also, one nice, one nice thing, where you'll, whether you like it or not, C++ does have the concept of try-catch statements. So I put a try-catch around this, and it's a, I, uh, the exception is an invalid argument exception if the string input is not a valid number. So then we're just going to print out invalid number. Then the one thing that I never knew about when I was, I, one thing that I've always seen about C and C++ that I never really understood until like probably just a few months ago that I've always seen is continue. I never really understood what continue did. <laughs> um, I never did have the KNR book. I guess that's why. But continue will basically say, um, ignore the rest of this loop and then just start the loop new. Now, it's very similar to break, but we'll, break will ignore the rest of the loop and then quit processing that loop. So continue is kind of nice. So it just says, okay, forget the rest of this stuff at the end. Just go back and do the next loop. So that's what continue does. It's kind of a standard C thing. Um, so we're going to store the result. So we're going to store the number guess to the result at the result string. But to be able to do that, you actually got to put two underscore string, call that using your i number guess as a parameter to store that as a string. I guess we already had it as a string here, but we're just kind of moving it back into a string so we can build the output that says this is the number that you guessed. We're going to increment the guess count using I guess count plus plus. And then here's our little standard less than greater than equal comparison. So if your guess number is less than the secret number, we're going to take the store result and then append the word higher. If it's greater, if your guess is greater than the secret number, we're going to append lower to your result string. And then if the number guess is the secret number, then we're going to append correct, then print out the correct number of get the total number of guesses. And yeah, just remember you got to call two underscore string, and then put your guess count in there to convert that to a string. A lot of languages like C-sharp and Java will automatically, you can just do correct plus, then put in your int right there and automatically convert it for you, which is pretty nice. But in C++, it won't do that for you. Then at the end of the, after it's in finished processing that, we're going to just clear out the input string right there. So let's see if I can run this demo. File, open, project. This is going to be a long talk. <laughs> we're, we're, we're getting through it. We're about halfway through. 
So, number guess, number guess, open the number guess solution, and here's the code that I just walked through. So guess the number 1 to 100, let's guess 50, lower, guess 25, higher, what's 12 plus 25, 37. 37 minus 6, do 31, plus 3 is 34, um, 32, 33, 7 total guesses, not the best number guess that I've had. I think, I think if you logically do a divide and conquer algorithm for this number guessing game, you'll always guess the correct number in at least seven guesses but a lot of times it's either just do 50 and say 50 is higher 70 higher 80 higher 90 lower 85 lower 82 higher 83 84 so eight total guesses so you can actually play the game faster by just doing it by tens but uh, the the most fifth efficient algorithm is to just keep guessing the center value between the the high point and the low point so yeah that's number guessing game i always recommend people do that first okay so here's a slide that i made as i was going back and doing c i will admit c is probably my least favorite language um i don't like fortran or fortran is pretty ugly too but uh lisp and scheme those are pretty ugly too, but I see their purpose, like a functional style language. Um, I made a post about this on social media. I think C++ was a necessary like bridge or step to get from C to more common languages, more modern languages like C Sharp and Java. So it's kind of like, see, I see C++, which I believe was created by Bjarn Strustrup. I think at Bell Labs or ATT, one of those places. I can't remember if it was like eight in the 80s or 70s. I know C, I think, was created in the 70s, and C++, I think, was maybe 80s. Um, but, yeah, C++ seems like a hack to me on C. Um, but the benefits, like I list here, one benefit of C++, you have polymorphism, objects and classes so classes like okay class is a lot like a struct in c where you have different data types but you can also have functions on that structure as well um, and objects are basically just an instance of that of that class and one nice thing once we get into java and c sharp they have garbage collections so you don't have to do all the memory management for yourself and i think that says one of my points on the right side over here but in C, C++, you still have to free the memory once you create that an instance of that class with new. So you allocate it with new, just like in C Sharp and Java, uh, but you still have to call delete to free that object at the end, which I'm, sometimes, in some of my code, I'm not good at doing that. Um, polymorphism... That could be a whole talk on itself. Basically, you can have a super class, like you can have an animal class, and you can have a dog and a cat. This is kind of the classic example. So, in your super class, you're going to have uh, a method called speak. And 
then you're going to have subclasses of dog and cat, which extend that superclass. So in the dog class, you may have implement speak, overwrite that superclass method, and speak will print out wolf or bark. Then in the cat subclass, that speak method will print out meow. So you can use, so that way you can call speak on either the dog or the cat as an animal class, and it will print out either bark, wolf, or meow. Um, you can also have a concept of an abstract class. That means um, if you declare that method abstract in the animal class, then both the dog and the cat have to implement speak. But you could have like a generic speak method if it's not abstract. And if the cat class doesn't implement speak, then it will call that implementation of speak in the animal class. So that's the concept of polymorphism. And it also helps like you can have like a list and you can just declare a list of animals and you can add dog, cats, or whatever subclasses you have in there. Another nice thing about C++, you don't have type def structs, which I hate. <laughs> they're, they're very ugly, and I just never liked how type, type def structs are defined. So you have classes. There's still, you got, still got to play some tricks to get classes to see other classes. I think I have a note about it over here. You still have the header files, and I hate header files. It's just a lot of work to keep everything so that everything can see everything else and the whole point of the header files is because the compiler is a single pass compiler so if you've got a method up here and then the method down here let's see here if you have a method up here and it references a method down here then it's not going to know the name of this method down here because it hasn't gotten that far down in the compiler so that's what the purpose of the header file is is to declare your function prototypes so all functions in here know all the names of the other function. Plus in C++, you actually believe also have to declare the names of the classes as well. And you can use, uh, you can just use a pen and include, and you'll run into this mess where you have to do a if indef compiler directive so you don't get in inclusion header file inclusion loops which i didn't know when i was for, took my first c class or first class that you see i didn't know about if in defs and all that but uh, it kind of helps prevent you from including files multiple times over and over again um but my first like declarative language that i learned was java and you don't have to worry about any of that you just declare your class put your methods in there, and all classes see all other classes, all the other, well, technically they may not see them, but they're aware of the class's names. So not, you don't even have to worry about any of that. So back to this, pros of C++ over C, there, as I mentioned earlier, there's a string class, which kind of helps. You don't have to do char stars and malics and all that garbage. You just have strings and you use your strings. Um, you, know, you don't do memory management. You just use new to create new objects. There's also a standard vector class, which is like a lisp, lisp, list in C sharp or vector in Java. Um, so it's a linked list, a dynamically sized array. So that helps out a lot. You just got to include the vector library. 
Um, and also there's a bull data type. So that's one advantage over C, because in C you have to do like a pound to fine, true is zero, a pound to fine, false is a one, or true is a one, false is zero, however you want to do it. Um, but in C++, they actually have a bool data type, which is Boolean in um, Java. So that you can set that to either the, the keyword true or the keyword false, all in lowercase. So some cons to Java. I mentioned the header files. Um, I guess you could put all the header stuff in the class itself, in the class file, but typically people just do it in header files. That way you're only including those once if you... Oh, and by the way, in C-sharp, in this version in Visual Studio, there's like a pragma tag. So it's like pragma include once or something, pragma once. And that way you don't have to do the compiler directors, the if in defs. So it's supposed to handle that for you. And, it, and whenever you create a new header file, then it'll actually put that in there for you. So it's not as bad as just doing like plain C, where you actually have to do the if in defs yourself. Uh, see here. Uh, yeah, another bad thing is you still got like the old C entry point, the int main void. Um, in C sharp and in Java, then you just have a main method in one of your classes and it automatically knows where to start. So you actually still got to have that mix of old C to get your C++ working. And one thing that confuses the heck out of me is it's still got the old C style pointer notation. So if I got an instance of a class, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to be using like dot. Like if I call a method on that class, I think I just use a dot, then whatever. But if I got a public variable, I think I still got to do a like dash greater than the little arrow then the name of the variable i can't just do like a dot and then then the name of the public variable um in some cases when i'm trying to reference another class i actually have to put class and then the name of the class um not sure why when i'm doing the the, the header files and the function prototypes that was a problem uh yeah i've talked about the name so so yeah, uh, in Allegro, there's some drawing primitives. Here's like the stuff that you can get out of the box. Uh, you can draw various rectangles. This is a simple little program that I wrote, which I can go ahead and run. Write this other night. Close Visual Studio. So drawing primitives. So the drawing primitives is another library component that you have to include. Um, but I wrote this program, yeah, Allegro Primitives. So I wrote this program, and it'll display most most of the drawing primitives in this library. Wow, this is a little bit slow. Okay, yeah, I don't know why that was so slow. But yeah, here's the drawing primitives right here. <clears throat> you can get a filled rectangle, which if you want a square, then you just make the width and height the same. You can do a outline of a rectangle and you can also make specify the thickness of that one which is pretty cool i know a lot of game libraries won't do that for you let you specify the thickness and draw a line you spe just specify the from point and the two point and also specify the thickness of the line so you can make that big and fat if you want to there's actually a triangle i know a lot of game libraries don't have a triangle usually they just have a, a square a circle an arc and a polygon but that's 
Allegra actually does have an AL draw triangle method and an AL draw field triangle. So if you want to draw some triangles, you can use that. It actually has draw rounded rectangle, which is pretty cool. So you can have this little rectangle and specify a radius for the curvature of the the the, the angles, the corners of the rectangle. So you can make it nice and curvy if you want to. It's got your standard circle. And you also control the size of the thickness of the circle. I don't think it has a filled circle, which is interesting. You have an ellipse. You specify like the height and width of your ellipse. It has an arc too. I looked for a filled arc. I couldn't find a filled arc. It also has spline, which is kind of confusing. Uh, but yes, yeah, spline takes four points. You can use it to make a curved line. And basically you just pass in... A, an array, a float array of size 8. And so the index 0 and 1 are your first x and y coordinates. 2 and 3 are your second x, y coordinates. Uh, 4 and 5 are your third. And 6 and 7 are your fourth. So points 0 and 1, the coordinates in 0 and 1, are the starting point of the line, location of the line. 6 and 7 are the ending location of the line. And then 2, 3, and 4, 5 are the two points that are outside the line that controls the curviness of the line. I'm not an expert on Bezier curves, how that's all that's calculated, but that's basically how Bezier curves work. And I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I don't think I've ever heard anybody. It could be Bezier. <laughs> I guess I should look that up someday. Maybe one of those French things. So sound effects, briefly go over this. Uh, you got, as all components in Allegro, you got to enable the audio add-on and also the audio codec add-on or else it won't recognize file types. Um, so you include those header files, initialize it with AL install audio and AL init a codec add-on. Uh, use a pointer to an Allegro underscore sample for holding the sound data file or holding the sound data. Um, as always, I drag in those files under resources, the WAV files. Uh, you must, so it took me a little while to figure this out, but you must call AL reserve samples and pass in an int before loading in any of those audio files. Otherwise, it won't load or play them correctly. I think I just used two. Um, so I think that means it can play two at the same time, I think. You, you load your audio files with AL load sample, then pass in the file name, then use AL play sample to play the sound. And one other thing that took me a while to figure out, make sure to have all your sounds loaded before calling AL create display. If you create your display before you load in your sounds, then they won't load or play. And here's an example here of playing a sample. So I've got the sound of the chip destroyed, dead. I forget what this first one is. You, there's all the documentation, the API documentation is um, on the Allegro site. So here's the Allegro API reference right here, Allegro.cc. So Allegro.cc is more like the community site, I believe, for Allegro. And libleg.org is like the official site where you just get the downloads. But if you want the API, go to Allegro.cc, which seems like it's pretty slow right now. 
Everything seems to be pretty slow tonight. It'll come up in a minute, I'm sure. So that's how you play sounds. Music, um, it's basically the same thing. You still use Allegro Sample for holding your audio file. I know it does waves and augs. It may or may not do MP3s. I can't remember. I didn't try an MP3. I know there are some licensing issues with MP3s, so a lot of game libraries may may or may not do MP3s out of the box. Um, so you create a sample instance, and you assign it to uh, Allegro Sample. So this is the one difference with a song than just the sound effects. The AL set sample instance play mode, and you can set whether it loops or just plays once. Then you got to attach it to the mixer. So using AL attach sample instance to mixer, you pass in that instance of the song, and then you can get the default mixer with AL get default mixer. And then you just call AL play sample instance in your instance of the song. So one thing you'll probably want to do is have uh, gamepad inputs for your games. One nice thing about the gamepad, opposed to keyboard, and I think, I'm not sure about mouse, but everything else, it does support gamepads and joysticks without including any additional components. I don't know why. It's like you got to add a component to do keyboard input, but not for your gamepad. I don't know. So you just call AL install joystick. Um, make sure you call your AL joystick install before calling your audio install. Seems like I had issues with that. So very similar to keyboard, you can either have event based or polling based. It depends on really depends on what you're doing. If you want to know when a button is pressed, then use the event based. If you want to know Every frame, if your button is down, like if you're pressing left and you want to move left as long as that button's down, then you want to use polling based. Or you can use a mix of the two. I mean, that's possible. Um, one thing that I found that could be problematic, uh, I think I made a note of it here at the end. Yeah. Um, be careful about mixing the joystick polling with keyboard movements. You can get some... You get some weirdness if you try to do both at the same time. Or if you're doing... So the one weird thing about the joystick is if you're moving the joystick, it's going to create an event for both the X and Y axis. So you have to make sure, and there's a method in here, when you're doing your update loop, make sure you handle all events in that event queue before going to the next frame. Otherwise, you're going to have this long list of events that get piled up. So either handle, so if you're doing joystick event-based uh, programming, you want to make sure that you get all the events so you're handling the X position and the X and the Y position. And that event is, I think I mentioned it nah, somewhere in here. Um, yeah, I think it's a joystick axis event. So you want to make sure you pull all those off. And you need to even flush the event queue after the... I don't think you have to do that. So yeah, if you're doing an event, you use the same AL register event source. Pass in your event queue, like the same event queue that you use for your keyboard. And then you just use AL get joystick event source. 
and that will generate those joystick events. Um, you can have multiple joysticks, so you can have like both, and I actually tested this, you can have both your Xbox and PlayStation controllers both plugged into your USB ports, and if you don't handle that correctly, then you're going, you won't know which one you're getting events from, which can cause problems because your Xbox gamepad can be centered at zero zero, and then your uh, PlayStation gamepad can be in the upper left hand corner. Stick can be in uh, upper left hand corner. Then you're going to get conflicting events from the two gamepads, which is really ugly. So it's best. I mean, if you're doing a professional quality game, you want a way like on the old Xbox 360 console when I was doing Xbox Live any games, have the user press a button to tell the game which gamepad they're using. Then store that in a variable, say, hey, they're using gamepad 2. Then make sure you only handle events from gamepad 2 or whatever gamepad they're using. You can have multiple sticks on a gamepad or Allegro calls everything a joystick. But a joystick can be a gamepad. Uh, a joystick can be a joystick or a joystick can be a gamepad. But a joystick in Allegro can have multiple sticks. Like on the uh, on the Xbox gamepad, you have the two thumbsticks. Those are both sticks. And also it considers the triggers as sticks as well. Because they're like floating point values. So just be aware of that. Um, and also... I believe on the one or other the controllers it considers the d-pad a stick as well but that isn't consistent between the different types of controllers and i have a uh, image showing this on the next slide um you can get the access with event joystick position pos um, I mentioned that this will probably generate multiple events per update, so make sure you handle all the events until... So here it is, AL get next event is null. When, once that's, it, that's null, you know you've handled all the events. And also, for the buttons, you have event joystick button, and just do your double equals, and then you can pass in an integer representing the button that is either pressed or released. You also have polling base, so in some cases you just want to know what the current state of the joystick is. So you can use AL joystick state, you pass in the joystick, the current joystick that you want to find out the state, then you can pass in a reference to an Allegro joystick state, and then that will load all the joystick state information into that Allegro joystick state uh, object or structure. <laughs> Um, I did a simple game and it seems like the polling base is a lot more stable because just because there's so many events generated with the event based for a gamepad. I think event based is better for keyboards and mice, uh, but it seems like gamepad, it's either just, just go full polling based. Um, the downside of the polling base, as I mentioned earlier with the keyboard, is you don't get a button pressed or button released event. You have to keep the previous state of the button to determine if it's been pressed or not. So here's the controller layout. So this is a picture that I took of my 
USB or my two USB controllers, Xbox controller, Windows controller, and PlayStation controller. PlayStation controllers on the left. So the four buttons, the X, circle, square, and triangle, represent buttons 0, 1, 2, and 3. On the Xbox controller, it has A, B, X, and Y. But the positions, the indexes, buttons indexes don't match the same positions between the two controllers. So, for instance, the button on the left side, the square button on the PlayStation controller is index zero. But on the Xbox controller, it's button, what is it? Yeah, it's button A on the Xbox controller. So it's like zero, one two, three on the Xbox controller. But on the PlayStation controller, it's zero for square, one for X, two for circle, three for triangle. <clears throat> and I think that's why in Steam, they have like the controller layouts, which try to handle the different controllers for you. If you're creating a game in Allegro, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I would probably, yeah. I wouldn't want to have to write controller handling code. I'd probably make some abstract value that says, here's a fire button, then let the player map the fire button, however it is, through Steam or through some configuration file or something else. But just be aware, just because you press the bottom button and it's a one on the PlayStation controller, it isn't the same on the Xbox controller. So then 4 and 5, 6 and 7 on the PlayStation controller are your top buttons, your shoulder buttons. 10 and 11 are the click, clicking the two thumbsticks. 8 and 9 are your start and select. Uh, 12 is the PlayStation button. And 13 is the touchpad in the middle. Um, on the Xbox controller, it's just 5 and 4 for the shoulder buttons. There isn't a button for uh, the triggers, as far as I could tell when I tested this. Um, the D so here's one major difference between the Xbox and PlayStation when I tested them. Uh, the D-pad on the Xbox controller, it's buttons 10, 11, 12, and 13. But on the PlayStation controller, the D-pad is actually an axis. So you don't get button events on the D-pad on the PlayStation controller. Um, so yeah, on the PlayStation controller, you have, uh, the, the thumbstick, the left thumbstick is axis zero, the left trigger is axis one, but it's, uh, it's, um, it's thumbstick one, but axis zero, then the right, th the right trigger is, um, stick one axis one so every stick can have multiple axes and actually the right thumb stick is stick zero then axis one and two so the right thumb stick seemed really buggy on the playstation controller on the xbox controller the left thumb stick is thumb stick zero and it's axis zero and one the right thumb stick is ax is thumb stick one axis zero and one and then the two triggers on top are thumbstick or stick two, and it only has the axis zero and three for the right trigger. 
in the sexes. So it seems like with the sticks and the axes, it's much more logical on the Xbox controller, at least when I tested it. It seems kind of funky on the... The only one that seemed consistent was the left thumbstick. And also the D-pad for, for uh, the number two. Okay, so display sprites. Uh, you got to enable the image add-on in Allegro uh, using the process that I already mentioned. You load your files with AO load bitmap and then pass in the file name. So I tested it out. It works with BMPs, PNG, and also PCX. I put that in there because the original Allegro, I don't think, supported BMPs or GIFs or anything. It supported PCX. And I remember back in the 90s, I had to go out and download like a shareware version of Paint Shop Pro. I think it was like JASC Paint Shop Pro because it was the only program that I could find that would make a PCX file for me. Nowadays, we have GIMP, and GIMP can do PCXs or anything else that you want, which is pretty nice. Um, the one advantage of doing PNGs is it preserves the PNG transparency. So old school Allegro developers uh, are aware that to do transparency in Allegro 2, and I think all 2, 3, and 4, um, it used this magenta, or some people call it hot pink, all red and all blue, and that was your transparency color. So it did like transparency out of the box, but it's just hot pink. And the downside of that is you really couldn't blend in. You didn't have like alpha values of 0.5. It's either full color or, or hot pink, <laughs> but the hot pinks were dropped out. Um, I, did, I did the same thing, copying my bitmap files to resource file and set to copy file and properties. So when I'm making a game, I'll start out with doing rectangles, and then I'll just change that rectangle code with aldrawbitmap using the same X and Y coordinates, and it just flips that out. It's pretty easy. And if you're doing a game, you'll probably want to have multiple frames, and you'll have a countdown float value for how long it should take between frames and just increment the frame counter and then loop it back around once you get all the way around. Or I think in some games I'll just use a mod and then based on on the current value um, it'll determine which sprite that I display. So, <laughs> talking about the hot pink and the magenta, I was curious if there was a way, if that still existed in Allegro 5. And from what I read online, it doesn't exist at all. So I found it as a challenge to implement the hot pink transparency in Allegro 5. So I load a bitmap here, then I called it old school transparency, and it takes an Allegro bitmap, a pointer to an Allegro bitmap, as a parameter. So the first thing you ought to do is, and this is probably more detailed than anybody wants to know, but if you're really interested in knowing how bitmaps and all the functions and bitmaps in Allegro work, this is a good starting point. So you tell like the processor the target bitmap, which is the bitmap that I passed into the function, and you can use, um, so I create two colors, Allegro colors, which are magenta and transparent magenta. I used the AL map RGB underscore F101, which means all red, no green, all blue. And then I have this transparency color, which is I use AL map RGBA underscore F and just 
The first three parameters really don't matter, so I just set them to zero. It's really that third parameter. Uh, if, if, if it's fully transparent, the first RGBs don't matter. So I just made it zero, zero, zero. Then zero, it's total transparent. So I have two loops. I'm sure this isn't the most efficient code in the world. And I'm sure people will say, oh, well, you need to do this in one loop. And you just, blah, 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 blah. okay, I'm just doing it in two loops. I'm using an I and a J incrementer, iterator, whatever you want to call it. So I do, uh, uh, based on the width and the heights of the bitmap, I get the pixel. You can use AL get pixel, and that will return the color in that bitmap at that. And here I do J and I because J is going to be the X location and I is the row, the Y location. So if you make enough games, you learn this trick. You have two loops, rows and columns, but your columns are your X and your rows are your Y. So typically when you have a function that requires an X and a Y, you pass in your column value first, which in this case I'm using the J iterator and then the y value is second, which is the i error. So that's why the i and j are flopped around. If you like, I said, if you make enough games, this this becomes like second nature. It's almost like driving a stick shift. You don't really even think about it. It's like yeah, j's first, columns first, rows second to map to x and y. So here's the the magic right here. If so, we're going to take that color value from that pixel. So if the r value is equals to magenta r and the G value equals magenta G, and the C value equals magenta B. Now, I could have just, like, put 101 right there, but I wanted to make this readable. Uh, so if it, if it equals that magenta, then we're going to put a pixel at that location. We're going to put our transparent pixel in that location, and it actually works. Um, I should use that in, in, in the game, Simple Shooter. So, yeah, here it is, Simple Shooter. So I typically do this example with after I do the number guessing game as a simple example of how to make a game in, in a game library. So I've done this like in, what is it, mono game. I've done it in SDL. I did a simple one in Scratch. So it's almost becoming like a quest to do the simple shooter in every single game library. I'll have to do clan lib or something next. So since I've done this enough times now, I'm, I'm, I realize the best way to go about this is create, like in Unity, a game object class, or I think in uh, Game Maker, it's like an actor. So I extract extracted like those common properties. So I have a ship class, a bullet class, and an enemy class. So I extracted a lot of the common features, values, into this game object, this game object superclass. So the position, the size, and also have an update and draw, and also went ahead and put a check collision in there. So I want all objects to be able to determine if they've collided with some other object. The benefit of that is, if you looked at my mono game example or SDL example, I probably had collision code written for the ship, and I had collision code written for the enemy, and I had collision code written for the bullet. But since I put all this in a super class, I only have to write that collision code once. And I'd say, hey, has a ship collided with a bullet? Or has a bullet collided with the enemy? 
and I'm not re-implementing that code every single time, which is good because if there is a reason that I would need to change the collision code, I only have to change it in one place. I don't have to change it in the enemy, and I don't have to change it in the bullet, and I don't have to change it in the ship. But that's just one of those things that you learn after. It's like, okay, I've done this enough time, and I'm rewriting all this code for these classes. I just need to pull that into a super class. So I think that's part of the thing. Once you've written a game, you can go back and extract extract some things into a super class, make things cleaner. And also I have, and this is UML right here. I remember when I learned like class diagrams, it was before UML. That's how long ago <laughs> that I was in college. But when I was doing class diagrams, they had a triangle for a has a relationship and a little semicircle with a line for a is a relationship. But with UML class diagrams, they have aggregation. So a game manager right here, a game manager knows if the game is over, the number of lives, and a game manager has a reference to a ship, uh, one to many bullets, or zero to many bullets, one game manager to zero to many bullets, which is represented by the star, which you may or may not be able to see right there. A game manager is only going to have one ship, unless it's like Galaga or something where you can have two ships at the same time. I'm just going to say you only have one ship for this game. And a game manager can have zero to many enemies. Um, game manager is also going to have update and draw methods, going to be able to handle the input and initialize. So that's why you have these filled diamonds that says a game manager is composed of a ship, it's composed of zero to many bullets, and composed of zero to many games. I think the classic example of aggregation is like a car. So a car has a steering wheel, it has four wheels, so that would be like a four. Uh, it has a hood. It has windows and things like that. So you can't have a card unless you have all those aggregate components. Um, with the is a relationship, which is the the outline triangle, it means all. This is like the the cat and the animal and cat and dog. A ship is a type of game object. A bullet is a type of game object. An enemy is a type of game object. So it doesn't mean a game object is composed of those. It means those are actually a game object. You don't have to call it game object. I just call it the game object because that's what I'm familiar with in Unity. So here's the simple shooter that I made. And I guess I'm going to go through all these steps. I actually like the last one that I did, last presentation. I put all of these presentation legroo. Simple shooter. So I'll put this on my GitHub. So I saved at every point of this the code and the executable. So you can see the process of building this game. So the first step, draw a box to the screen. The simplest thing to do. Make sure you can get a box on the screen. So simple shooter zero. See if I can run it from right here. There we go. Box on the screen. Appropriate keyboard. No, it's not going to do anything. I just draw just drew a box to the screen. And yeah, I got escape working. I did implement escape. That's the one thing about Allegro, there's no default key press for exit. So you, it is possible if you create an infinite loop, you actually have to do a control link, go into system processes and kill your game if you don't have a way to exit your game. So the second step, make the ship move on a key press. So simple shooter. So 
Basically what's going to happen, you're going to press a key, and it's just going to keep on going for infinity. And it'll actually go outside your screen as well. So you can actually lose the guy right there. But you just want to make it where it'll move on a keyboard. So the third step, which it's up to you what order you implement these in. Third step, check for bounds. So if you press down and you get to the bottom of the screen, then it's going to stop. Press up, then it's going to press to and going diagonally, it's going to stop in the left hand corner. Bounce checking. So step four, stop moving on key release. I'll go back here. Simple shooter or debug. Simple shooter. So press down, let up, press down, let up, press down, let up, press up, press down and over. And once you get into more details of this game, you'll want to use a vol. I should use a velocity there, but you want to do acceleration and deacceleration, which I don't have there. And by the way, I'm not going to go through it right now. I'll, I'll put the code out there. But in each of these steps, oh, I can't open it this way. You actually have to rename it. But you can go and go into Simple Shooter. If you want to use any of these, you've got to rename it from Simple Shooter 4 to Simple Shooter. But you can go in here and like double-click on Game Manager. You can get the code right here. So this is... This is the key handling right here. If it has an event, if it's key down, if it's Q or escape, we're going to stop leaping. If it's A or left, then we're going to set the ship velocity to negative ship speed. If it's right or D, then we're going to set the X velocity to ship speed. If it's up or W, we're going to set the Y velocity to negative ship speed, and if it's down or S, then we're going to set the ship velocity to ship speed. And then you can go over here, look at the ship code, so we can see your update. And I just hard-coded 0.0167 in here for the length of the frame. What you really want to do is go in there and figure out the current time, and then process your frame, and then figure out how much longer you need to sleep until the next frame. I just did it 60, I just did it 0 0.0167 seconds across the board. So, not the most efficient code or not the most elegant because you could have a little bit of a lag in this code. So, Here's where we're checking bounds right here. It goes less than zero. Then we're going to set X to zero. If the Y plus the if the X plus the width is greater than the screen, then we're going to set the X value to screen width minus W. And yeah, here's the draw code right here. Just going to draw that field rectangle right there. But yeah, on every update, we're going to do X plus the velocity X. And I, I multiply it by that delta time so we can work in units. And I actually do have a tile size right here. So 64 pixels are one tile. I'll close that. So the next step is to spawn a bullet on key press. So let's open up Simple Shooter 5, debug, Simple Shooter. So I'm pressing space. So every time I press space, it's going to spawn a bullet. 
until I press space again. Then if I press it multiple times, and so I'm only doing one bullet right here, just to start out with. Go back up. Simple shooter five. Simple shooter. I think I have that in the ship. Uh, yeah. So ship has a method called shoot, and shoot is going to take bullet and create a new bullet. And then if I look in the ship header, and oh, by the way, I didn't mention earlier. So this is how you define a subclass, class ship, then do a colon, then public, then the superclass, a public game object. Then you're going to have these two sections, public and private. So in C Sharp and in Java, you define the scope of the method before the method name when you define the method and C++ you put all the scope information in the header file then you just list all the public methods and all the public variables then you put private you put all the private methods and private variables and if you have okay so I don't know I think C++ also has protected so and I know Java has protected and I can't remember if C sharp has protected but protected basically means that I believe protected means that the superclass can see methods in the subclass, but no other class can see those methods. So public means any class can see any other class, that method in any other class. Uh, private means class A can't see a private method in class B. But if... Class A is a superclass, class B is a subclass, then if B has a protected method, class A can see class B's method, but if you have class C, then class B can't class C can't see a protected method because it's not a superclass. So yeah, here I have my one instance of a bullet. I actually change this later on. I just put a vector of bullets in my game manager class, so but I don't know why I put it there, but it works. It's just quick and simple. So the seventh step is create a moving enemy. Did I skip six? Oh, step six is spawn multiple bullets. So go back to six, debug, run this. So you can see now I can press space, and it's going to spawn, keep spawning bullets as long as I keep pressing space down. So if we look at the code, go to ship. Actually, let's go to game game manager H. Game manager. So I included vector up here. Also included bullets and ships, bullet and ship header files. Oh, and here's that pragma once that I mentioned earlier. So that means when anything that includes game managers only. If it's already included game manager, it's not going to try to reimport the header file again, which is kind of like. Otherwise, you'd have like an if indef, and you'd have to create a uh, a game manager underscore h, and then say if if it's not defined, then do it, then define it, then end 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 indef. So yeah, here we have a vector of bullets right here. And in game manager .cpp, this is why I hate C++ because you got to keep balancing uh, 
the stupid CPP file, your C++ code file, with your H file. Now, it may be possible to put the function definitions, but yeah, you don't want to do that. <laughs> so by the way, the way you define a method is you do the class name, colon, colon, then the name of your method. So like the constructor is the same method name as your class. That's what's game manager, colon, colon, game manager. But it's like I have a game manager run here, so it's void game manager, colon, colon, run. In C++ and Java, you just say class, game manager, open, curly brace, then you put all your functions in there so you don't have this class colon colon business going on. So when you press, so when you press space, and it's called, going to call ship shoot. And oh, by the way, when I create the ship, I'm going to pass in a reference to this game manager so that the ship knows what the game manager is. So I use that arrow notation that says ship, then I have a public variable, which I'm not a big fan of getters and setters. I, it's like, just 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 assign it. <laughs> so ship game manager is going to get a reference to this. So then in my ship class, Fun find. Where's the notepad? Okay. So in shoot, I'm going to create the new bullet, a reference to a new bullet. I'm going to say game manager bullets. Then here's a method on the vector class called pushback. So it's going to put push the bullet onto the, the end of the bullet vector. So game manager. So it's just going to push it to the end of the bullets. So then in my draw, I'm going to do, I'm going to loop over all the bullets and then call bullets draw. And then in my bullet, here's the draw method right here. It's just drawing a rectangle, that white rectangle. Then an update for my bullet, I'm just incrementing the y by delta time. No, oh, by the way, I did create a constant called delta time right there. Like I said earlier, you really want to calculate that and not just have it as a constant. So that way, with all your bullets in a vector, you can have multiple bullets at the same time. Now, the one thing you do want to do is you want to... What you really want to do is add code, control, add code right here to say, hey, if the lifetime is greater than five five seconds then delete the bullet and get it off the vector and call delete and free it up and everything which i didn't do so step seven creating a moving enemy simple shooter seven debug simple shooter so here's a moving enemy but no collisions or anything work he's just moving back and forth that's all he's doing right there go look at the code Simple shooter, enemy, CPP. So basically I'm saying if the lifetime is greater than two, then change the velocity, then set the lifetime. So I'm doing kind of a trick right here. I'm just setting the velocity back to zero. So once it gets to two, change the velocity, then set it back to zero. Now I could have done, I could have just calculated based on overall lifetime, but I didn't do that here. Mm. Yeah. Eight, step eight, implement collision between the bullet and the enemy. That's why I'm using my collision. And go back up. 
8, debug. Not sure if, yeah, okay. Simple shooter. So now I'm shooting, 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 and when a bullet hits, it deletes to enemy. So a simple shooter 8, look at the code. So in my game, object CPP. Here's my collision code right here. This is in game object. Check collision, then I'm going to pass in a game object to see if it's collided with it. So it has collided to true. If the if there's no intersection between the two rectangles, then we're going to set has collided to false and return has collided. So then I need to close some of these. Close, 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 close. Go ahead and close that one too. So then in my bullet. there didn't game manager this is like where you have some options I think I eventually move it into the bullet code so on update I'm gonna loop through all the bullets then if the bullet then I'm gonna check collision with the enemy then I'm gonna call in in if if that's true if the bullet has collided with the enemy then I'm gonna call enemy damage receive so enemy damage received. Then if damage received, then we'll set is alive to false. So basically I have an is alive as a part of like these standard game objects. So basically is alive is just going to tell it, okay, if it's not alive, then don't draw it and don't update it. And that's a little bit more elegant than just calling destroy because sometimes you want that. Sometimes I know in Unity that game object will hang around a little bit longer than after you... I know there's a destroy immediate, but in Unity, I know when you call destroy on something, it can still linger on for a few frames. So a lot of times, it's better just to have an alive flag and set the live to false. That way, you don't have to worry about when that object is actually removed. And... Um, let's see your game manager. Did I actually remove it? from the stack. So after, when it's not alive, then you want to delete it and then remove it from the vector. Eight, implement collision between, that's what I just did. Add multiple enemies, so step nine. Simple shooter, nine. Debug, simple shooter. So now we have multiple enemies. Now we've got a lot of enemies on the screen. So it's now it's kind of starting to actually feel like a game. It's not a very fair game, not a very interesting game, but we got a ship that can move around. We got bullets flying around, and then delete, kill all the enemies, and nothing happens. But just to show, edit. Just have this little bit of code in the constructor of the game manager. It's going to loop, loop over four rows and eight columns. Then it's going to create an enemy based on. Uh, based on the index, it'll offset it number of pixels in the rows and the column. And then I got my enemy's vector. Then we're going to put that new enemy at the end of the enemy's vector. Then in our draw, we're going to loop over all the bullets and all the enemies and call draw on both of those. And in our update, we're going to loop over all the enemies and all the bullets and call update. 
So step 10, collision between enemy and player. Let's go to simple shooter, step 10. Debug. So now if I go into an enemy, it kills the player. That's pretty simple right there. Simple shooter. So I think that's in game manager update. I think this is where I start moving the collision code into the actual game objects. Let's look at ship. This is where it gets tricky. It's like, well, do you put the collision in the enemy or you put it in the player? And a lot of times it really doesn't matter as long as you have it in one or the other. And oh, by the way, I call this damaged received because if you call like ship destroy, in most games you're going to have a ship and it has varying amounts of health so you can take three hits before you're destroyed. So this gives you a little bit of leeway and put an ant in here you have it like an RPG or something. It's like some enemies may ha be stronger than others. This is kind of setting it up so that if you do want to have a ship with a different amount of health, then you can do that with this instead of just calling like calling destroy. Well, I don't think I have it in the ship. Let's check enemy. Yeah, so an enemy, I moved. Yeah, check collision with game manager ship. Then if it is, then ship damage received. So it's pretty simple right there. Step 11, add a game overstate and start a new game. Simple shooter 11, debug, simple shooter. So now I believe when I shoot all of these guys here, game over. And it does. Oh, and then you press space to restart. If you collide, oh, you can't reset if you collide yet. So in game manager, edit with Notepad plus plus. Gonna spawn all our enemies, and an update. We're gonna have not is game over. Then we're gonna have a handle input game running. So we're gonna have. One state for the game is running, then one state for game over. So if the game is over, then we're just going to look for the space bar that's pressed to restart the game. If the game over delay. So you want a little bit of game over delay. That way, if you press down space, it's not counting that key press down for the next frame. So here's our check game over. Let's see it up here. Check game over. Where's check game over? Hmm. Oh, I better put check game over in the enemy when the enemy is destroyed. So instead of checking for game over on every frame, we're only going to check if it's game over when that enemy is destroyed. That way we're not... It just saves a little bit of processing time. So you only check for game over when an enemy is actually destroyed. So if it's not game over, then we're going to loop through all the enemies. And if any enemy is alive, 
then uh, then it's not game over. We're going to set this flag as enemy alive to true. So then we're going to say, if there's no enemy alive, or if the ship is not alive, then game over is true. Then we're going to set two seconds of game over delay. That way the user can't press space until two seconds are over. But yeah, that's, a, that's something important to be aware of. The game over can either be from all the ships destroyed. All the enemies destroyed or the ship is destroyed. Um, shoot cooldown. So step 12. Simple shooter. Oops. Debug. Simple shooter. So now I can press down space as many times as I want, but I'm only getting one bullet every half second. That way you just can't, like, I remember those old school arcade games where you just had to mash as hard as you can. There's still games like today and it drives me nuts. I hate mashing buttons. So now you can mash all you want and you're still only getting a button every half second. Which I think is good game design, in my opinion. It makes It's just not like a button mashing fest. So ship, ship CCP. So I'm going to have a F shoot cooldown. I'm going to set it to zero. So F shoot, this is the thing that I hate about C++. Let's look at the header. you got to open up another stupid file just to view the stupid data type. So we've got a public F shoot cooldown. Maybe that could have been private. I don't know. I'm not a scoping expert or anything. Most things I just put it as public and forget about it. There's some cases I'm like, okay, there's nothing else that needs to know about this variable in this class. I'll make it private. And I rarely use protected, but there's a few times I've actually used protected before. Um, so on our ship update, if the cooldown is greater than zero, we're going to subtract off delta time. And then if it's below zero, we're just going to set it to zero so it's nice and pretty and everything. Um, so then when we call shoot, so if the player's alive and the cooldown is less than or equal to zero, then we're going to spawn the bullet. Otherwise, we're not going to spawn a bullet. So if the cooldown is greater than zero, we're not going to spawn a bullet. Um, enemy shooting, enemy bullet ship collision, step 13. I think I start combining more things together as I went further in this demo so now after a certain amount of time the enemies are going to start shooting at you and also by the way if i get hit by one of the little red blocks then game over i didn't clean up all my bullets after so hit by a red box game over so step 13 simple shooter so enemy so basically what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a random number between 5 and 20 then I'm going to set that to the shoot delay so it's going to each enemy is going to wait between 5 and 20 seconds before shooting <clears throat> so on every update we're going to subtract off delta time from shoot delay so it's kind of like the same shoot delay for a ship 
Then if the shoot delay is less than or equal to zero, then we're going to shoot. So in shoot, if the enemy is alive, we're going to spawn a bullet, the same bullet for, as player. But then in the bullet, I added this new flag called is friendly. Bullet H. So I got a bull is friendly. So that's going to mean can the player be damaged by this bullet or can the enemy be damaged by this bullet? So on the bullet update, if it's friendly, then we're going to check for collision with the enemies. But if it's not friendly, then we're going to check for collision with the player. And if it collides with the enemies, if it's friendly, then we're going to call destroy on the enemy. If it collides with the player, and if it's not friendly, then it's going to destroy the player. And let's see. And also, when the enemy spawns a bullet, we're going to set the velocity of the bullet to bullet speed. The Y velocity to bullet speed. That means it's going to go down the screen. When the player, when the ship spawns a bullet, when the player shoots, then we're going to set the velocity somewhere. Hmm. I guess we do it in game manager. That should be in player. I don't know where that's it, but somewhere it should be set to negative ship speed. Or maybe it's just the default ship bullet. Yeah, yeah, here's F speed. Well, that's fine. Oh, yeah, here it is. Velocity of Y is... So by default, a new bullet's going to go up the screen. But if it's an enemy bullet, we're going to say, okay, set your velocity to positive Y, bullet, positive bullet speed, so it goes down the screen. Okay. Did that. Sound effects and music, step 14. So I kind of combined these into one, since they're kind of one in the same. Playing sound effects are similar to playing music, which I talked about a little bit earlier. Go back and review the earlier slides if you've forgotten the difference between sounds and music. So that's the music. Then when I shoot, I get the sound effects. And then when the enemies are shot, <clears throat> yes, I used BFXR to create all those sound effects. I used bot that Boskila Sea Oil to create the music. I kind of learned a little bit more about that. It's a neat music MIDI style music generator program. So 15, add joystick controls. So I spent way too much time on this, on this step. What is it, 15? Debug, and you can see my wave files and everything in there. Simple cheater. <laughs> and actually, since I have multiple, this may not even work right now. So I press, yeah. So on this one, I press left, and it goes left. I press right, it goes right.
I also have some debug information up there. But this is a good one to look at. I spent quite a bit of time getting this right. Simple shooter, game manager. So what I did here is I created two booleans, instance variables. Use joystick event and use joystick polling. So you can actually go down here and look at my update code. Yeah, so I have a handle input game running. So if we're doing polling, then we're going to get the joystick state. And I have this float tolerance value because when you get the value of the joystick axis, it goes from 0 to 1. But you don't want the ship to start moving until you get a little bit off center. You don't want it to always start right at 0. So this is where we're getting the axes. And if it's greater than the tolerance, then we want to move right. If it's less than the negative tolerance, we want to move left. Then if it's otherwise, we want to start stop moving horizontally. Same thing for vertical. If it's greater than the tolerance, then move down. If it's less than the tolerance, move up. Otherwise, stop moving vertically. Then here's a joystick button zero. If the button's pressed, then shoot. So in this case... I'm not worried about a button down because I have the shot delay code already in there. So this is going to allow me to hold down the button and then keep shooting as the shoot cooldown expires. Now if I want to have it where the player has to press the button every single time, then I'm going to have to keep track of when the button is let up. So it'll be like, oh, can shoot or something. Have a bullion can shoot. So whenever the button goes back, to the state of not being pressed, then set can shoot to true. Then also have the, uh, if I'm doing the event handling, it's a little bit more confusing. I had to do this first time to get the, the debug dis display correctly because I could have multiple events. Uh, most likely we'll have multiple events whenever the stick is moved. So I didn't want to clear out the whole debug message every time on every frame or every loop. So this is how you do. So I have this disabled right now, but you can use this Lego get event joystick access and you can get the joystick ID and you can also get the event joystick access and the event joystick position. Then you can either like move right, left or stop horizontally based on the position of that event. But uh, this it worked okay going left and right or up and down but when you got into going up and left for some reason it's like either dropping events or something it was just kind of quirky using the joystick event based handling but the good thing is is like if you used joystick allegro event joystick button down this worked pretty good for the for the buttons up and down it, it worked great for this so you just say event joystick button zero if you get a joystick button down event, if the button equals zero, then shoot. And then I have the same old keyboard input right here. So the final step that I had in this is adding the sprite not animation sequence. So basically I didn't put sixteen. It's just still in simple shooter here. And uh, do I not have? Yeah, I don't have it in here. I think I just, maybe I just have it in Simple Shooter. 
Maybe I just have to run the thing. Start it up. Hopefully this doesn't take forever. So here it is with the sprites and the ship. Yeah, so basically, like I said earlier, I just went in and updated all of those rectangles with sprites. And, oh, by the way, Game Manager. Here's where I'm loading in, like, the WAV files and the BMPs. Now, I have my old-school transparency right here. <laughs> so I just pass in that uh, image to my old-school transparency, and it changes the magenta to... Too transparent. Now I could have just I could just use uh, PNGs, and it would also handle transparencies. But then I'd have to take my images and change the magenta tr transparent color. Yeah, so that's it. Let's see, enemy. So for the enemy on update or on draw. I do this little quirky code right here, which actually, so depending on how long the enemy is alive, I'm going to multiply that by two, then then mod. I think that means it's going to change every half second, mod by two. Then if it equals zero, then we use the first sprite, and if it equals anything else, one, then we're going to use the second sprite. Then, yeah, we just call AL draw bitmap. Um, for the ship, it's pretty simple. We just call if the ship is not null, then we're just going to draw the ship bitmap. Now I have all the bitmaps stored in the game manager. Now I'd probably, if I made this into a full-fledged game, then I'd probably have some vector something, dictionary type structure, which would hold all of the bitmaps for the game, then just pass in an index or a hash or something. Might be like a hash map and passing a value to get the the sprite that I need. Okay. I think that's it. References. Yeah, check out Delari software. You get DOSBox at DOSBox.com. There's a good C++ reference here, C++.com. If you're new to C++ or you just need to have it as a reference. It has all the standard libraries. Like I said, if I know that uh, Unreal Engine uses C++, so that might be a good reason for using it, but I'd, I definitely wouldn't use C++ unless I have to. Not my favorite language. There's a uh, C++ reference on W3C, W3Schools. Right there. C++ tutorial starts you out with the low world. And it has like how to do loops and switches and all that good stuff. Your math functions, all that. So that's, that's basically it for C++ and Allegro. Before I wrap this up, I have a few games I want to show off. I won't show off my own game. I'll talk about that. Yeah, I released Polygot Pelican, but I don't have a web build yet. But yeah, maybe I'll just show it off real quick. But yeah, I got the alligator enemies added. 
and uh, I think it's pretty much a full game now. I got whenever he gets eaten, it's got feathers that fly around. And I got three different levels, three different backgrounds. So I'll talk about that more later. Um, one of my friends up here, he worked on a game for quite a while. Frank, uh, it's called Strike of the Centurion. I recommend checking this out. Look up Strike Demo on itch.io and i think this game was i think you put this out like probably four or five years ago but he uses a pretty cool technique kind of like the old donkey kong countries he rendered he rendered all his models 3d first i think he used 3d studio max and then he exported all those into um, image files Sprite-based image file. So he did use Allegro for this. That's why I'm bringing this up. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like an old-school Asteroids, but like on steroids with a lot of different weapons and enemies and things like that. <clears throat> so yeah, check out Strike of the Centurion on Itch.io. I know he put a lot of work into this game. Got a lot of different weapons and things you can buy and all that. So the next game, so Matthew, I, I know Matthew, I know Matthew's father, Brian. Matthew's actually been working on a pretty cool game. Um, I played through this. It's on Itch.io. And basically it's a first-person shooter. You go around, it's kind of like an office building. And there's like zombie-type enemies in this. And you collect the keys. There's like server rooms and like these other types of, of weird type of enemies here. Make your way out of the dungeon there. So yeah, check out The Cursed Office by Matthew. I think this is, he made this using Unreal Engine, one of his first games. But he's been, he says he's been using uh, Blender quite a bit. So um, I'm a Blender fan. It's a little bit hard to use at first. but And here's a game. I don't know if I can run this, but uh, Locksmith Army in our Discord channel. He made a game for Game Jam, uh, the holistic 3D lockdown game jam called H3D Christmas. I want to see if I can run this. Um, let's see. Temp. I think I just have it in here. H3, maybe I can't find it. H3D Christmas. Maybe it's under DTemp. Uh, could just re-download the thing. H3D Christmas. Okay, I'll just download the thing. Download now. Uh, just take them downloads. Actually, I already have it downloaded. Downloads. Sure, downloads. And what am I looking for here? H3D Christmas. Download. Save. Now, I want to show this off because it's Christmas. <laughs> I don't know where it put the stupid thing. Yeah, it's a Unity game. 
Let's see if you... Oh, where's my mouse? I need to get rid of that warning right there. Oh, well. Wish I could get rid of that stupid warning right here. Run. Please don't show that again. Okay. So you yeah, arrow keys to move, and you can throw presents using... Ah, oh, crud. V... But the uh, jump is Z. So jump, jump. So you throw the. Oh, crap. Oh, you got evil snowman. So jump, jump. You throw the present into the chimney and it puts Christmas lights on the houses. So the objective is to put Christmas lights on as many houses as you can, which I think is pretty cool. It's a pretty unique idea. Those little running guys take so many hits to kill. I think he said he made this in just a few hours for this game jam. You got a health meter, and as your health gets... I don't know why that one already hit him. I didn't think I hit that one yet. But I think I got like 90 or so. And you do have a limited number of presents, too, so you can run out of presents. And if you're really good, you can hop from house to house. Sometimes it's better just to jump over. Oh, uh, yeah. So when you run out of health, you, you die. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a pretty cool game there. So anyway, yeah, I know this one ran a little bit long. So yeah, appreciate everyone that's been listening on our various listening sources, such as iTunes. And I think Google Play may be discontinuing podcasts, but I know we're still like on iHeartRadio and Spotify and other places appreciate everyone watching uh currently on youtube but i'm looking at some other places like bitshoot and rumble and some of those other places the only downside is some of those other video sites you can't embed properly but i'm gonna look into those a little bit more um yeah if anyone out there wants to meet in person just let me know I found out like scheduling a meeting every month and it just being me wasn't really productive. So I'm, I'm just going to keep doing presentations like this until interest builds up again in, meeting, in either meeting in person or meeting online. Um, I'm kind of running out of ideas. I think there's interest out there for another... I don't know if I've specifically talked about animation in Blender how to animate something in Blender, then pull it into Unity. So I may do that next month. But yeah, kind of running out of ideas. Never thought I'd get to the point of running out of game ideas. I know there's still Clan Lib out there. I think I may start like doing like algorithm type stuff, like how to solve different pro game development problems instead of just doing game libraries. I think I'm getting a little bit burnt out on doing game libraries. I don't know if there's too many more out there to do anyway. But. Anyway, I uh, hope everyone out there is doing okay. Join us on our Discord channel, noxgamedesign.org is our main website, and you can find links to Discord and everything else on there. So anyway, until next time, thanks everyone for listening and watching.